Today's reading will be taken from Matthew 13, 44 through 50, and Matthew 19, 16 through 30. Matthew 13, from verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore, then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The next reading from Matthew 19, 16 through 30, can be found on page 90 to 7 of the Church Bibles. Okay. Matthew 19, from verse 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter your life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father or mother, or children, or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. This is God's word. Let me lead us in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, that would indeed be our prayer. Please, uh, would we hear your voice very clearly now, we pray. And uh, would your spirit give us strength to obey it, even though its demands are high. Give us such a view of the richness of your grace, the treasure so divine, that to follow becomes far easier because it is the desire of our heart. That's your spirit's work. Please speak clearly by your word, we pray. Amen. Amen. Do take a seat. And uh, we're in Matthew 13. If um, you've uh, shut those Bibles, Matthew 13, page uh, 980. 
And uh, really largely looking at these uh, couple of parables, the parable of the treasure, the parable of the pearl. And actually, uh, how do I put it? Uh, there's a sentimental value. I'm not sure that's quite right. But these, these two little parables then, this, these three verses was the, um, was the first sermon I preached actually as minister here at uh, Christ Church Mayfair a few years ago because uh, they've always held a certain fascination for me. I wouldn't say I enjoy these verses. I don't, if I'm honest. But they have a fascination, like sharks have a fascination. You know, you always watch a program on television on sharks. They're interesting. They're impressive, phenomenal. Uh, Would you choose to swim with a shark? No, I would not. Uh, I don't want to get too close. I find them a little bit threatening, but uh, at a distance, very intriguing, very interesting. And I've always slightly viewed these verses like that. Because particularly these two parables, I mean, the, the message isn't very complicated. But essentially... In both of them, a man discovers the kingdom of God and sells everything to own it. So the man, he discovers treasure in a field, he sells everything to buy the field. The merchant finds the pearl, sells everything. And so in the middle of this chapter, all about the kingdom of heaven, Jesus throws just these little couple of parables in. Oh, it's worth giving everything for. And that's just a bit much, isn't it, really, (laughs) to ask? Everything? Everything? Everything. It's a little strong for my taste. I've always found them slightly fascinating, these two parables. Now, we're in the uh, Matthew 13, then. We've been here for uh, almost a month now, uh, looking at these parables, the parables that Jesus tells all about the kingdom of heaven. So we've looked at the reactions to the kingdom, particularly in the parable of the soils, the delay of the kingdom, the parable of the, uh, the weeds or the wheat and the tares. I guess today we're looking at the value of the kingdom. And next week, sorry, uh, go back and look at the progress of the kingdom. It's inevitable progress. Uh, these uh, parables telling in chapter 13. But today is quite simple. I mean, it's not complicated, I don't think. The kingdom of heaven is a hidden treasure worth selling everything for. And that's it. The kingdom of heaven, it's a hidden treasure worth selling everything for. But let's um, break it down a little bit more. The kingdom of heaven then. Uh, Matthew often refers to the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God in uh, uh, the other gospel accounts and commonly in the New Testament. But Matthew writing primarily for a Jewish audience and uh, they'd have hesitations about pronouncing and certainly writing the name of God. One of the schools I taught him. When I was a school teacher, about a third of the pupils were Jewish. I was a history teacher. You'd write anything about history, and all their essays would be filled of G-D, because you're not meant to mention uh, the name of God. And that's what's going on here. So Matthew refers to the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me just remind you, I think of some obvious things we've noticed in this chapter 13, then, about the kingdom of heaven. Three little things. The first is, it is a reign, not a place. The kingdom of heaven is Jesus' reign over people. It's not a physical place. You can't get two tickets or return to the kingdom of heaven. You can't visit it as such, as a geographical place. It's a reign. And you enter the kingdom by coming to the king and bring yourself under the authority of this king, Jesus Christ. So it's a reign, not a place. Uh, Secondly, to spell that further, you enter this kingdom by repentance and faith. It's not a place, you don't need a passport to go in, but repentance and faith. So Jesus begins his ministry in Matthew's gospel with the words, repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is near in chapter 5. And it becomes obvious what that means as the gospel uh, uh, moves on. You need to have your faith in this saviour king in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. By the end of the gospel, it's very clear. You need to trust in him as a saviour from your sin. You need to place your faith in him upon the cross. You, You can't enter his kingdom without going through the cross. So it's a reign, not a place. It's repentance and faith in the Saviour King. And third little thing, it exists now, but is consummated in the future. So in all of these parables, Jesus is stressing, yes, you can join the kingdom now. The kingdom of of heaven comes with Jesus Christ in his person. The doors to it are flung open with his death and resurrection, and you can belong now. But it only comes in its fullness when Jesus returns. So just before, uh, where we got to at the end of last week, um, chapter 13, verse 43, excuse me, chapter 13, verse 43, it is then, it's when the Son of Man, Jesus, returns, then, verse 43, the righteous, those who have their faith in Jesus, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. So only then, only in the future when Jesus returns, does the kingdom of heaven fully arrive or is consummated. So to believe in the kingdom of heaven, that is to have faith in Jesus Christ as your saviour now, and that is a faith that will take you to be in his physical kingdom at a point in the future. That's the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew describes it. Now, what about these two parables in detail? Okay, the kingdom of heaven then is hidden treasure. So first of all, verse 44, kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy went and sold all he had, and bought that field. That's a good day if you're a laborer in the field. Did you, I mean, these sort of things still just about happen. Did you read in the press this week, Terry Castle, uh, the, it was all over the press, Terry Castle, he, uh, just a man who owns a small um, uh, terrace house in uh, Hackney, and he found the Hackney hoard this week. He was digging a little pond, a frog pond actually, for his uh, pet frogs, and uh, dig, 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 clonk, oh, what's this? A glass jar full of gold coins in his garden. Magnificent. And uh, the story comes out that back in 1939, a Jewish man, uh, Martin Salzbacher, had uh, fled from Nazi Germany. And at uh, first he just put, with all his gold, uh, so 160 gold coins, double-headed golden eagles, mm. Uh, And he'd uh, put them in the bank, but then, slightly fearing uh, a Nazi invasion of the UK, took them out of the bank and buried them in his garden. And uh, then, killed by a bomb, his family knew he had this gold. Where's he put the gold? No one knows. Where's the gold? Nobody knows. Until uh, about 70 years later, there's a Terry. uh, You know, I love my frogs. I'll dig a little pond for my frogs. And uh, clonk, clonk, clonk. Oh, what's this? This is interesting. Let me get this valued. And it's part of a hoard worth something like 180,000 pounds just buried in his garden. That's a good day. Fancy his little dig this afternoon, just to make sure, just to make sure in our little vegetable patches or window boxes that um, uh, there might be such a thing. Wow. Wow. That's the picture. Wow. Wasn't expecting that, is the picture. The second is slightly different because he's a professional. So again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. 
I mean, not many of us doing that, perhaps. The kingdom of heaven is like a trader looking for an, you know, for an outstanding little trade that he can make some quick money on. But anyway, he's a merchant looking for fine pearls. And what happens? Well, he's looking for pearls, but he finds one beyond his wildest dreams. And uh, I wonder if, given it's paralleled to the, uh, the field, there's a similar hidden sense. You can imagine this pearl trader going into a shop, just stumbles into a, an antique shop, and uh, looking around at all the junk, and then, oh, what's that behind the counter in the glass cabinet? Oh, yes, I'm quite proud of that. Here, let me have a look at it. It's a pearl. It's a big pearl. And the trader, he's a professional. He knows. That's, that's got to be worth about three million pounds, he thinks to himself. That's what the largest pearl in the world is worth, by the way. The Lao Tzu pearl, just in case you were wondering. Anyway, he looks at this thing and thinks, that's worth about three million pounds. He says to the, the shopkeeper, with a tremor in his voice, how much do you want for your pearl behind the counter? Oh, no, that's worth something, I think. No, I know that's worth something. Uh, I'm really, I'm asking for about 400K for that. Okay. And uh, he runs home, sells everything, buys the pearl, quick profit, two and a half million, thank you very much. He's very excited. It's hidden, this treasure. And I think Jesus' point here is that belonging to the kingdom of heaven, knowing him, is a hidden treasure. It isn't obvious to us who are Christians or those who are, on, who are not yet, who are not yet persuaded in looking, and it isn't obvious how much it's worth, really, not in this life. Now, many of us will know it, it is a treasure. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian, even in this life. We forget it often, but it is a wonderful thing to be able to relate to God without guilt, to speak to him, to know that he's there and overseeing our lives that no catastrophe befalls us that isn't within his plan, that he's caring for us. Those are wonderful things. Peace with him, able to relate to him, purpose that that gives. Those are all wonderful things, even in the here and now. But in these parables, I think the emphasis is very much upon the future value of the kingdom. Let me show you why I think that's the case. These two parables, the, the treasure, the pearl, they're wedged between a couple of other parables that are really emphasizing the division that comes at the end of history. The division at the end of time. So let me remind you, we looked at these last week, but verse, the end of the parable of the weeds, verse 41, let me pick it up of chapter 13. The Son of Man will send out his angels, they'll weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Miserable words that we considered last week. But then the parable of the net is very similar. So there is a division. Verse 49 of chapter 13. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. Throw them into the fiery furnace. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see identical phrasing to verse 42 in the previous parable. So twice Jesus says, in the future there is a division. It'll be wonderful if you have your faith in me. Dreadful if you don't. He says it again, and in between he says, to be part of my kingdom is wonderful, it's priceless. Do you see why? Do you see what he's doing there? The value of my kingdom is supremely seen in the separation that takes place at eternity. Do you see how he's wedged these two parables on value in between those two references? the weeping, the gnashing of teeth. 
the value of my kingdom is supremely seen at the end of history, then if you had any doubt at all about whether it was worth it to live the Christian life, to give yourself fully to Jesus Christ, then, then there's no doubt. It's absolutely obvious, he says at that point. So as we walk down, as we walk down the streets today, as we go to work tomorrow, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it may not appear to be treasure to us. We look at others and think, well, they're rich and they're powerful and their life's straightforward, but their, their life is a lot less stressful than me. It's not obvious that being a Christian is that valuable. But membership of the kingdom is of eternal, superlative value, says Jesus. You might miss that in this life. In the press coverage of... Um, uh, Terry Castle, I, I didn't read about it. I don't know when he bought his house in Hackney. But imagine he bought his house three years ago. You'd feel a bit annoyed if the, as the previous owner, wouldn't you? It was just short of 200k, sat in the garden, and he never knew. If only you could have got off the sofa one Saturday and dug something. It was there, and you never knew. Imagine you found something in the loft you pulled up a floorboard, there's a dusty old pearl. You think, well, I don't know what that's worth. You take it to a pawnbroker's and you get 50 quid for it. You think, well, that's quite pleasing. Next week you see it on the news and it's sold for a million pounds. Or you'd be pretty irritated by that. You'd be ri- Jesus says, don't, don't go through this life just missing out on the kingdom of heaven. Just walking over your lawn when there's gold beneath, walking over a pearl and it's worth a fortune. Don't walk by Jesus Christ and forget or fail to realize quite what he's worth and how wonderful it is to be part of his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, is it's hidden treasure. Not everyone sees it. Not everyone sees the value of the kingdom. But when you do, third little thing, it's worth selling everything for. It's hidden treasure worth selling everything for. Now, this, of course, is the the frightening, I don't know, the demanding aspect of the parable. Two times you get it. The first man, the laborer, in his joy went and sold all he had, bought that field. The merchant, he went away and sold everything he had and bought that jewel. Everything. Can you imagine doing that? Something catches your eye tomorrow and you sell everything. You cash in every equity, every ISA, the whole of the pension fund, the house, the car, the jewellery, your mother. You sell everything. You sell everything. Anything you can get money for. You, you, the suit, yeah, all right, five quid, great, great. Our suit, everything. Everything goes. Everything. Everything. Why would you do that? Well, here's at least two reasons that come up. This is a trade that is, first of all, without risk. It's completely without risk. Do you see verse, I mean, this struck me for the first time. Verse 45, this man, he is a merchant. He is a trader. He's a shrewd professional. He's not a fruit loop who just does something, woo, spontaneously. I'm going to sell a cow for five beans. He's not just, this is, he knows what he's doing here. But any of you who in any sense are traders, would you take a deal like this? There's no hedging of position. There's no spreading the portfolio. 
It's everything in one camp. There's no due diligence as far as I can see in either of these cases. They just, oh, that's good, straight away sell. I mean, goodness, the man's accountant, the man's financial advisor is pulling his hair out. Not now. If you wait six months, you'll get much more for the house. If you, no, not, no, don't get rid of those today. In a year's time, the yield will be much higher. No, today. It's all going to go today. This is, what? It's a madness in one sense, but he knows what he's doing. He's a very shrewd trader. There's no risk here. No risk. It doesn't quite work, but imagine... Somehow you are presented with absolute cast iron evidence that uh, a major pharmaceutical company is go- has produced a cure for cancer. Cancer in a drug, tastes like a smarty, uh, uh, pop them once a week and your cancer goes tested, proven, uh, got um, approval this side, of the, uh, this side of the Atlantic, the other side of the Atlantic, all over Europe. It, it, all the drug agencies have approved it, but no one knows. They're going to publish next week. This lands on your desk. It's absolutely certain. What would you do? You'd invest quite largely in that. Cure for cancer, that's going to make money. You'd, put, you'd go big on that. You'd always wonder, is this certain? What you have here is the living God. Jesus Christ says, here is an offer that I put before you. It is absolutely without risk because it's underwritten by me. I make promises and I never break them. If you give everything for my kingdom, you cannot lose. I am promising you upon my word, upon my death, says Jesus. You can't, this is a trade that is without risk, ultimately. You can't lose with it. And then secondly, it's without comparison. So I don't know what the man's field, he pays for a field, but he gets a load of gold in it. It's a trade without comparison. So what sort of trades would you make? Would you swap the cash that's in your wallet right now for five million pounds? Probably. That would be a good deal. Would you swap, you know one of those green little plastic houses you get if you're playing Monopoly? Would you swap that for a townhouse in Mayfair? Yes, you probably would. Would you swap a five-minute phone conversation with someone you quite like for a month's holiday in the Caribbean with your best friends? Yes, you would. Would you swap one day's good health next week for... 30 years, perfect health, beginning next month. Not a sniffle, not a stub of a toe, not a cough, nothing. Would you, you'd make all of those trades. I mean, they don't compare. Plastic house, townhouse, they don't compare. Jesus is saying, would you give this worldly stuff for an eternity with me? It doesn't compare. It's a trade completely without comparison. Obviously you would, says Jesus. So it's a trade. It's worth giving everything, worth selling everything for because it's without risk. You cannot lose. How many things can you say that of in this life? You cannot lose with this. It's without comparison. You give up a little thing, you get a massive thing. The kingdom of heaven is a hidden treasure. It's worth selling everything for. Now, before we finish, two questions which, to my mind, jump out as obvious. The first is this. 
Are then Christians meant to sell everything? No. Maybe. Uh, no, of course, in one sense, no. It's a metaphor, it's a picture uh, we've sung already. We don't, you can't buy your way into the kingdom of heaven, as we sung just now. My soul is purchased by his blood. Jesus buys us into the kingdom. The price is his death. You can't buy your way into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, are Christians, do you have to give away everything to become a Christian, to be a Christian? No, of course, that's not true, biblically. And yet... Well, there's a reason I had uh, that parable read, sorry, the, uh, the account of Matthew 19, the rich young ruler. Why not turn back briefly to Matthew 19? By no means am I going to explain everything that's here. Let me just jump into the middle of this little account. Verse 20. The young man is uh, very upright. He keeps lots of, lots of the commandments. What do I still lack? Verse 21, Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Ah. So Jesus says that some people will be so attached to their wealth that actually they do need to give it all away in order to come and follow me. Because if they try and hold on to their money and me, they won't. The money will always pull them away. For some people, yes, sell everything. Gosh. That's what it takes, says Jesus. Clearly for this man, money was such an obstacle, get rid of the lot. Now that isn't a command that Jesus makes. So he doesn't expect that of every disciple, everyone who wants to follow him. But... How do I put this? I wonder, for most of us, we're not asked to sell everything when we become Christians, but I think Jesus would say the potential needs to be there. The potential needs to be there. It doesn't demand it of us, but to be willing to give away anything in order to know him, follow him, that that needs to be there. Now, what does that mean in practice? Well, I mean, this becomes a bit more interesting at the moment, doesn't it? We live in interesting times, and uh, many of us have less. Uh, Inflation goes up, uh, and um, uh, wages don't keep commensurate. So every year, we're all a little bit poorer, a little bit, uh, relative to perhaps other parts of the world. But um, I guess for for some of us, uh, we've had years of surplus, and actually giving away amounts of money, that's quite easy. But you get to a period such as this, and it's harder, because rather than giving from a surplus, we now have to make clearer choices. We give away money to the Lord, or we... Well, if we do that, we have to go without something. And now it hurts a bit more. The choice is a bit sharper. You know the story of the farmer who, um, whose favorite cow gives birth to two calves. You heard this one. So a farmer, uh, farmer his favorite cow gives birth to these two lovely calves, a red one and a white one. He wasn't expecting to, so he goes home and tells his wife, wife... Uh, Daisy the cow has given birth to two new calves, a red and a white. This is a cause of great celebration, and I feel absolutely in my spirit that the right thing to do is that we should commit one to the Lord. One is ours, and one belongs to the Lord, and we'll bring them up, and uh, when they're fully grown, we'll sell one and give all that money away to the Lord. Brilliant, she says. And which one is ours, and which one's the Lord's? Well, we don't need to decide that yet. We'll decide that later on in the time. Uh, you know, a few months later, he comes in sad, home, 
comes home one day very sadly and says, Wife, it's a sad day. The Lord's cow has died. She says, but what do you mean? The red cow has died. But we hadn't decided which was the Lord's and which was ours. Oh, it was the Lord's cow that's died. Don't worry, as is safe. Now, daft story, but uh, in one sense, that's our world at the moment, isn't it? For many of us, that's realism about where our finances stand. So Jesus doesn't demand that we give everything. No, he doesn't demand that in the slightest. But the potential, the potential to do such a thing. But even here, just while we're still in Matthew 19, just drop to the bottom because Jesus again wants to point out here, you cannot lose. You cannot lose. Chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus said to them, I tell you a truth. Sorry, let me pick it up from 27. Peter's a bit of, I don't know what mood Peter's in, if he's indignant, if he's proud, if he's anxious. We're not told that. But Peter answered him, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Okay, we've paid the cost. What's, you know, what's the payback? And Jesus' response, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left, interesting list this, it's relational and financial. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit inherit eternal life. We've given up a lot, Jesus. You don't lose You never lose when you invest in me. I am the unbeatable share option. I am the guilt that never fails to produce phenomenal returns that you could not dream about. You never lose. Even if the cost is financial, even if the cost is relational, and some people tease you for being a Christian, exclude you for being a Christian, you cannot lose, says Jesus. The uh, Charles Spurgeon, 19th century Baptist uh, preacher, tells a very eccentric story of a man uh, in his church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, who was, I mean, Spurgeon describes him as eccentric. I think he's being kind. But this man placed an advert in the, uh, the church newsletter for three months. If anyone has lost out due to their following our Savior, Jesus Christ, I will personally, financially, financially reimburse you. This advert appeared for three months in the church magazine and no one took him up at all. Spurgeon's point of that is, wow, here is a group of people who genuinely believe Jesus' words, that you do not lose what you give up. I mean, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you have done something? Oh, Mr. Um, Mr. Moneybags. In truth, actually, I, you know, I've been giving £1,000 a month uh, away to, to God's work, and um, uh, I find myself a, a little bit short of cash this month. To, so to have... Just this year's back at 12K would be quite useful. Wouldn't you have done, cashed in a little bit, a little something? No one took him up. Phenomenal. I guess they understood what you give, what you invest for Jesus in this life. Oh, you'll inherit a lot more. That's absolutely inevitable. You cannot lose. So are Christians to sell, give everything? No. Maybe. Maybe. Second little thing, 
and I think for me even tougher, how do we do this with joy? So back in uh, chapter 13, the man with the the labourer, when a man found it, he hid it again, then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Okay, I guess if on, you know, here it is, whatever it may be, the 21st of November, you do a little trade, you, 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 you sell everything you have for 500,000, you, you pick up something worth 5 million, that day you're quite happy. I, I guess I see that in the, in the nature of the parable. How do we do this? Because to, to give up things, you have to give away money, to, to jeopardize friendships with family members or, or, or colleagues at work, I don't naturally click my heels and skip when I do that. I mean, you may be far more godly than me, but actually going online and you know, increasing a little bit of giving or whatever it may be, I don't, woo, I don't sort of celebrate the moment. You sort of, yeah, I know this is right. And you, you do it but with joy. And what do you do with these parables? I think what I've normally done with these parables, what I've done in the past, even though they've so intrigued me, I've become a little bit liberal in my reading of Scripture. You know, I take Jesus' words very seriously, very seriously what he says about the cross, very seriously what he says about sin. But when he says, uh, go and sell everything, well, you know, he obviously didn't mean that literally. No, he doesn't, but there's still a challenge here. What do you do with these verses? I think, again, the secret is to see where these two little parables appear between these very strong references to the future. And if we're clear in our minds that what we're doing is giving friendships, money, whatever, but investing, because in the future there is going to be an enormous division. And what Jesus saves us for is wonderful. And what he saves us from, this twice-fold repetition the fiery furnace, the weeping, the gnashing of teeth, is miserable. Now, if we think to ourselves, if we, sorry, if we think to ourselves, uh, Jesus has saved me for heaven, that's nice. And you can be a Christian for years and think, that's good. And when I get there, I'm sure I'll be pleased. But you know what? Right here, right now, I've got busier things to do. It's quite easy to think, you know, Jesus has saved me for heaven, that's good. Oh, look, Sainsbury's have got buy one, get one free on mince pies. That's good too. And we, slightly, we just take these things for granted and we become slightly unexcited by them. Perhaps when we remember what Jesus has saved us from and what he saved us for, that does change things. I mean, you get these stories, don't you, of course, in the press all the time. You know, I faced, you know, I was very close at the point of death. And I've drawn back, and and the doctors have given me another five years to live. And now I embrace every day, and I love my family, and I seize hold of life because I confronted death, and now I've got life again. And once you've done that, it, it makes life much more precious to you. When you stare death in the face, life becomes more precious. And I think that's what we're meant to do here. These two parables covered either side with this terrible picture of an eternal torment in hell. When you confront that and look at that, when you stare that in the face, what Jesus has done becomes truly very wonderful and very, very precious indeed. So if we read these two parables, the treasure and the pearl, and think, well, they're okay, well, then we need to read the verses either side of them.
when you stare the horror in the face, it transforms daily life. Let me um, finish. I'm going to read you a little extract. I hope this is okay. It's uh, an extract from um, a book of Holocaust testimonies. Here's a woman called Edith, a young woman in her 20s. Uh, Edith had been in Auschwitz and was on a train uh, to another camp. And all she's going to do is describe a railway station in the middle of Germany in the 1940s. But the railway station becomes for her the most wonderful thing she's ever seen because she stared Auschwitz very clearly in the face. One morning, I think it was morning or early afternoon, we arrived. The train stopped for an hour. Why? We, we don't know. And a friend of mine said, why don't you stand up? There was just a little window with bars. And I said, I can't. I don't have enough energy to climb up. And she said, I'm going to sit down and you're going to stand on my shoulders. And I did. And I looked out of the window and I saw paradise. The sun was bright and vivid. There was cleanliness everywhere. It was a station somewhere in Germany. There were three or four people there. One woman had a child, nicely dressed up. The child was crying. People were people and not animals in this place. And I thought to myself, paradise must look like this. I'd forgotten already how normal people look, how they act, how they speak, how they dress. Oh, I saw the sun in Auschwitz. I saw the sun come up because we had to get up at four in the morning, but it was never beautiful to me. I never saw it shine. It was just the beginning of a horrible day. And in the evening, the end, the end of what? But here, here there was life, and I had such yearning. I still feel it in my bones. I had such yearning to live, to run, to run away and never come back, to run to the end where there is no way, no way back. And I told the girls, girls, you have no idea how beautiful the sun is. And I saw a baby crying, and, and a woman was kissing that baby. There is such a thing as love. And on it goes. It's just a railway station. But once she'd looked the horrors of Auschwitz in the face, just a railway station became the most wonderful thing. And Jesus puts these parables in the middle here to say, look, when you, when you realize the destiny that all of us are naturally headed for, weeping and gnashing of teeth for eternity, and then you come back to real life, this life here and now, to be saved from that, to be pulled from that, that transforms everything. To know that Jesus has done that for you, that is extraordinary. To know that he endured the weeping, the gnashing of teeth, the fire at the furnace, when you know that he did that on the cross, that's worth giving everything for, anything for. It's a trade without risk. It's a trade that cannot fail. The kingdom of heaven, it's hidden now. But it is worth giving everything for and if we don't see that, well, then we need to look to the future. Let's pray together. Our Father, again, we find ourselves stunned, really, by the words of Jesus. They're not comfortable words. They're deeply challenging in um, these parables of people giving all 
for the sake of your kingdom, for knowing you. Challenging also in describing what the natural destiny of humankind is apart from Jesus Christ. So Father, help us to see our lives clearly. Help us to see with the eyes of eternity and therefore to realize that what Jesus has done is truly the most wonderful thing and that to belong to his kingdom is indeed worth giving anything, everything for. Because at the end of history, when we look back, we'll know that it was worth it, absolutely worth it, a trade without comparison, a trade without logic to it. It's such an obvious thing to do. So give us those eyes of eternity, we pray, so that the work of Jesus, that Jesus himself is is indeed the most precious treasure we have. We ask in his name. Amen.